0: Welcome to Forever White Belt. I'm your host, Adolfo Ferranda. Today on the show, we have Kyle Sleeman. Kyle is a Canadian black belt under Justin Bruckman. Kyle is also a frequent instructor in various globetrotter camps around the world. BJJ Fanatics is about to make his debut instructional release. He's a fantastic instructor, and keep a lookout on the guard he has developed. He's aptly named the Guard. Just a reminder to please give us a five-star review on iTunes or just share this podcast with a friend. It really helps us out. And leave us feedback, suggestions on how we can improve the show, and consider becoming a patron at anchor.fm forward slash foreverwhitebelt. It really helps us out. Like our Facebook page to get all the latest at Forever White Belt and check us out on Instagram at Forever White Belt Show. Go buy your Forever White Belt swag at teespring.com forward slash forever-white-belt. We've got hats, shirts, sweatshirts, you name it. And with that, I give you Kyle Sleeman. Kyle the Bull Sleeman.
1: How you doing, Kyle? I'm good, thank you. How are you, sir?
0: Good, man. Good. I met you in uh, Arizona at the uh, Globetrotters camp. It was really fascinating to watch your your two classes. You are part of this Canadian contingency that came and represented there, which was fantastic. You guys were were really great. Kyle, can you tell me a little bit about, I was trying to get more information about you online and it was kind of hard for me to figure out what academy you're at, if you're in at academy and your jujitsu background. I know you're black belt under uh, Justin Bruckman, correct? Yes, I am. Right. And Justin seems to be a really fun guy. His style of jujitsu and his background seems to be like that old school, super aggressive sub, we're going to get you, kind of kill you kind of thing. And what's interesting about watching your sort of jujitsu is it seems to be there's elements of that, but you also have a modern jujitsu approach, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I like the old school style jujitsu that I was taught by Professor Bruckman because he was one of the MMA pioneers of Canada, one of the first 10 black belts in Canada. For Brazilian jiu-jitsu that is. So I've taken the old school style jiu-jitsu and adapted it to the things that I've created along the lines.
0: And as far as Canada, can you tell us like what academy you're at? Are you at academy? Are you where you're
1: instructing? I'm in Toronto, Canada and I'm under team Cicero Costa and team Cicero Costa headquarters in Canada is ran by Fernando Zulek. So I'm under Fernando Zulik and Justin Bruckman. So the academy that I train at, uh, that I teach at, sorry, and train at is called Cal Samrat, and we're under the umbrella of Fernando Zulik, who is under the umbrella of Cicero Costa, which is out of Brazil. So it's kind of like a yeah, we're it's an umbrella sort of thing, right? Right. So and we're then- we're Cicero Costa of team, but I'm at Cal Samrat Martial Arts.
0: Okay, so Academy of is like an MMA. I mean, they seem to offer everything, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, our Muay Thai, we have world-class instructors that literally are world champions, compete all over the world. A lot of MMA fighters out of there. And in my opinion, one of the best Jiu-Jitsu academies around as well.
0: Kyle, haven't watched a lot of your competitions in your style, you do seem to have a very go forward style. And it was really interesting when I heard you at the camp. One of the things you said is, and it always stuck with me, was uh, I don't want to get into a fight. I just want to win.
1: Yeah. So I don't want to have to get into things that I have to fight you back. I want to use everything you're doing against you. So if you push up towards me, I'm going to let it happen and go to something else. I'm not going to try and match you head to head. Right. Because again, I don't want to fight you. I just want to go around the aggression or around the energy which is like taking the back is a good example of that right taking the back is you're going around their energy and getting to a position that's in your favor now you don't have to fight now you can just focus on submitting them they have to fight to get out right So, yeah, so certain aspects of placing your body in a position that you have options and you already know that is a better way of staying ahead of your opponent versus getting into a fight. If you don't have options ahead, then it turns into a fight.
0: When did you come to this realization?
1: That's a good question. Um, It just kind of was developed through years of mat time. There's certain things that you can't teach, right? Certain things that you have to learn through years of hardships and adversity. And I feel like that's definitely one of them. I feel like my strength is an asset for me. And I feel like I've spent a lot of years making this mistake of trying to be strong. And so if I can save that for when I'm down and out and I really need it, then I always have that in my back pocket. But I want to go around the energy to begin with. I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to fight you. I just want to beat you. (laughs) Right. So, so that takes strategy, it takes strategy. That's where the art comes into play. You have to figure out a strategy.
0: I'm curious because you have such an extensive competition background. You've done it for so long. Let's talk about how your competitive strategies evolved. Do you have strategies? How do you train for
1: competitions? So I've been competing my entire life since I've been about seven years old in other martial arts. So coming into jiu-jitsu, I started jujitsu as I was about 21 or 22 years old. So I already had that competitive edge in me, hmm. right? I knew how to be a competitor, but I didn't really know how to bring it out in the jiu-jitsu competition scene. That was a tough part because it was different than I was used to. So over time, that built only try and focus on what I'm good at. I don't worry about what my opponents are doing or look them up and say, oh, they're good at X card. I need to shut down X card. No, I'm just not even going to get into X card. I'm going to play exactly what I got to play off the hop and put you on defense. So you're playing my game. So I only need to focus at what I'm good at. You don't even enter my head. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Because it doesn't matter to me what you're good at because I'm just going to do what I am good at.
0: So, shutting down someone else's game is sort of a secondary thought as opposed to you initiating your own game.
1: If I get wrapped up in a game, I don't think, okay, how do I play from here? I think, how do I get back to what I'm best at from here? So, if I get wrapped up in DelhiVa, I'm not like, okay, so how do I pass this De La Hiva now? Well, no, how do I get back to my best passing position, if that makes sense?
0: Yeah, that's a that's a nice way to sort of frame it and think about it. As far as your students too, are you identifying these things for your students as well, or are you just allowing them to develop whatever resonates with them and then and then go from there?
1: So in our beginners class or novice class, white belt class, we have like a curriculum to help them get a a base foundation of the fundamentals. Hmm. And then once we get in the blue belt and up class, which is the classes that I teach, I watch very closely. And feel my students during rolling, and I find the weaknesses that they need to work on. And I will create the next future classes dedicated to them without them knowing it. And all of a sudden, they're like, oh, I needed this, right? But they don't know that I've created that for them, right? And then Mm -hmm. the next day, I'm rolling with other students. I'm like, okay, you need this, this, and this. Or I see them compete, and I know they need this, this, or this. I don't tell them that they need work on that. They did great, but I will help them develop that without them knowing it.
0: Very interesting. So do you do this on like a student-by-student student basis, or is this sort of an aggregate that you see in a class? Something tends to be sort of trending, and then you sort of modify the class, the future classes to that.
1: No, I try in each one of my students, I'm trying to develop their own game for them. It's not just a general broad game. Like one of my students is six foot four, my other student is five foot eight. The length of your bones dictate different leverages. So they have different style of back takes they have, you know, this guy might be a sweeper, this guy might be a back taker. But if I'm just teaching everybody how to sweep, we're never going to really bring out the full potential in one student versus the other. Mm -hmm. So I feel that I I tell my students, you got to go home with homework, write down your game, which moves go into the next move, like write down three good moves from every position and bring them into me. And I'm going to help you formulate a plan. So now everybody has their own game plan and everybody's starting to see the art in the martial art instead of it just being a one broad thing. Right. I
0: love that you're giving them homework too. That's really interesting.
1: If they want the homework, they... They have all access to it from me. And if they don't want it, then that's fine. I'm more than happy, you know, helping recreational people move along, right? In their journey. So whatever they want, I'm here to help.
0: I love that you're uh, highlighting also like anatomical differences. A lot of people just sort of throw a general game or, or your own particular game on your students. As you mentioned, these anatomical differences, weight differences, age differences.
1: That's a big one. That's a big one. Age differences, like all my older guys that are over 40, we're transitioning into the pressure passing. So we don't have mm. to keep up with the younger grappler, like mm. staying out, doing the X passes and stuff. It's easier for younger guys to guard. So we have to nullify that, work our way into half guard and start pressure passing to save our own energy. So, we're, so even though you have a certain game, maybe that was five years ago you were good at that. We need to take a look at what's not working anymore mm. and address it
0: what is interesting to you now i've realized that it's kind of silly to ask a question like what is your best sub sweep or guard because for you guys it seems to be like just you've sort of mastered these types of things and now you're at a point where hey this is interesting to me now or these type of things at this particular moment what where are you at with that
1: I feel like I've long, I'm long from mastered anything. I feel like I'm just gotten to the point now where I'm ready to start learning jujitsu. I've under, I now understand all the fundamentals that I need to know. When I got my brown belt, I said, oh shit, in a few years, I'm going to be a black belt. (laughs) I have to go all the way back to square one and I want to learn jujitsu all over again with a different eye. And I miss so many things, right? The more you know, the real, the more you realize you don't know. But I think my best asset as a martial artist at this point is my ability to learn. I feel like all my 16 years of mat time in jujitsu has built the skill of the ability to learn. So I can watch a move and be like, oh, I got it in my game now. I don't need to drill it anymore. I just see it and I'm like, okay, I got it. And I can like start hitting it in class or whatever, right? So my ability to learn is definitely my best skill that I've developed, which isn't technique because I don't, like even in my classes, I don't really teach many techniques. I teach concepts.
0: Hmm.
1: Like my jujitsu is very concept oriented, right? Like if you're wrapped up in certain positions, there's no real move from there. The, the reality is we just need to shut things down. We need to untie the knot very gently. Hmm. Right. So concepts are the key. Not at first, you need to learn the techniques, the basic fundamental techniques. But then you have to start getting creative. And I feel like I teach concepts. Yeah.
0: Can you tell me what your first day of jujitsu looked like?
1: Hmm. Okay. So my first day of jujitsu, I just finished a judo class when I was about four years into judo, and I was probably twenty-one years old and I was going to an ice cream shop, Reed's Dairy. I was going to this ice cream shop just to get like a milkshake or something. And I seen this sign on the wall. It said Brooklyn martial arts, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And I was like, oh shit, that's the stuff I seen like eight years ago on UFC one. Cause I watched UFC one when I was 10 years old with my dad and all his buddies on the black box. Cause I was living in a martial arts world since the day I was born. So I seen that Brazilian jiu-jitsu and I did judo because my best friend's grandfather was a coral belt in judo. And it was, he always told me it's the closest thing to jiu-jitsu. And so I was in, he sold, right? When I seen this Brazilian jiu-jitsu on the wall, I was like, oh my God. And there was sweat running from the, the glass. So I went down in there and let me tell you, it was like, it was a little dungeon. It was like what you've seen in kickboxer, like behind the scenes that we had yeah. little mat areas. Antonio Carvalho, Justin Bruckman and Richard danku they were all training for Japan. They were all fighting in Shuto. Yeah, so I was like, hey guys, uh, I'm looking to sign up. They're like, come back tomorrow and blah, blah, blah. So I showed up the next day and I got my ass handed to me on a silver platter. And I had my whole life of martial arts before this, right? And I got my ass kicked and I went home and licked my wounds. I said, man, I that's the place I got to be. And from that day on, it was five, six days a week for the past 16 years.
0: Did you have a wrestling background at all?
1: No, judo. I had a, a right. taekwondo for about 12 years as a, as a kid growing up. Right. Then I got into judo. So judo is my, my background, but because I'm under... UFC fighter, Antonio Carvalho, MMA vet pioneer, Justin Bruckman wrestling is a part of jujitsu for us. Like to me, when people say, Oh, wrestling and jujitsu, I'm like, man, that's, it's all the same to me. It's
0: yeah,
1: right. I know like the headlock snap down to the double and all these things that to me, that was just taught as jujitsu. We don't have wrestling like the, like the States does. Right. So we're way step behind in, in that aspect. Is that changing at all? No, like in the States, don't they have like, you can fill a stadium sometimes for <laughs> high school wrestling, right? Yeah, like, yeah, we don't yeah. have that, man. Like, you know, one out of 10 schools has a shitty little wrestling team. That's about it. You have to join actual wrestling clubs outside of school if you want wrestling.
0: Your philosophy of competition. You have a really well-rounded game. I'm, I'm curious when you were competing, are you like a, a points player? Was that your type of thing?
1: I always want to get the submission because I don't want to burn myself out for the next rounds, right? So the faster I can get the submission, the better, but everybody's good. So like, if I don't get the submission, it's, it's just because I'm not good enough or they're just as good right so yeah it's hard to say when like even at like any level like when you get to any certain level like everybody's just as good as you i'm always hunting for the submission like i always want that right away i'm always attacking off the hop because my mindset is like everybody goes in there okay pace yourself and play the game okay the game to me is you got whatever seven or ten minutes whatever the clock is to sprint that whole time I need to attack right away, right off the hop to make you think, oh, shit, this is worse than I thought. Mm. If I can get you to think that within the first 30 seconds, the edge is in my court. I don't want to start off slow. And then they start thinking like, oh, I can beat this guy. And they start building confidence. And I don't need that. I don't Mm. want to fight you. I just want to Mm -hmm. beat you.
0: Right? (laughs) Yeah. So also, you're a physically very strong guy, and it seems like you look like you're a bit of a mesomorph in terms of body type, like you've always been physically, an aspect of your game. How do you train outside of jiu-jitsu?
1: Lifting hasn't been a part of my life, God, since I've been like 11 years old, 12 years old. I was just always fascinated with like huge arms and Arnold Schwarzenegger. I remember reading the Arnold Schwarzenegger Encyclopedia of Bodybuilding right through when I was 12, like, wow. you know, five times and lifting in my basement. So I've always had a lifting routine and I was kind of like, you know, like those little strong kids that are like eight years old, but they're jacked. That's what I was. Right. So mm-hmm. I, I kind of seen my asset off the beginning and I just ran with it mm-hmm. and my uncle was jacked and I was, my dad was jacked. And I was like, man, I want to be like those guys. <laughs> So I always just trained hard and it just became a part of my life. And now like I try and lift three times a week, but I break it up. I'll do, you know, maybe eight sets per body part, not going overboard, but I'm just keeping a strong structure and a strong foundation because I see lifting and keeping that muscular frame. I'm not building, but keeping that frame developed helps protect your joints. It's like armor if you don't have a strong chest and strong arms, like how long can you frame the guy off of you? Mm -hmm. Right. So that's, I see it as my armor is my armor weak or is my armor strong, right? Like if you don't have a good solid stomach, man, your guard is going to die fast. We Mm -hmm. all know that. Right. Mm -hmm. So I feel like it's an aspect that goes along with jujitsu as well as the diet. It all goes together. It's all part of the jujitsu lifestyle, in Mm -hmm. my opinion. But as I get closer to competition, I start cutting my lifting down. So when I'm about a month out from competition, I'll lift once a week, but I up my cardio. I'll start doing sprints and things like that. Because of my asset is my strength. And so that means my weakness is my cardio. Cause I got a whole, I gotta use blood, right? So I've never really had the greatest cardio. So leading up to competitions, I really do hard sprints, blah, blah, blah. And that way come competition day, My confidence and my ability to be aggressive comes from knowing that I've been doing hard sprints for the last four or five weeks Hmm. and you haven't, right? So I'm going to sprint this next seven to 10 minutes and you better keep up or I'm going to take over. That's how Mm -hmm. I see it.
0: Now, just for some context, Kyle, can you let the listeners know how old you are and what division you would now be at?
1: Yeah. So I just turned 39 years old and I'm in, I guess for the IBGF, it's masters two,
0: So going back to the strength training, sort of, let's talk about the modalities. Are you talking about like compound traditional weights? Are you doing sandbags? Are you doing kettlebells? What are we doing?
1: Outside of the competition frame. So I see six weeks leading up to the competition that's Mm -hmm. in competition. And then anything outside of that is outside of competition is how I
0: see a little over a month. Okay.
1: So outside of competition, I like to work every muscle group just to keep them healthy and alive, keep my body awake and everything moving, keep myself strong. But then as again, when competition comes six weeks, I will do squats, presses, deadlifts, uh, the compound movements once a week, which is a 40 minute workout. And then on say that's on a Tuesday, then on a Thursday, I'll do sprints. And then five days a week is just jiu-jitsu because I cut my lifting down because I'm not focused on a lifting competition. I'm focused on jujitsu, jitsu So I don't want to spend my time lifting if I'm going to want to get better at jujitsu. jitsu
0: And then in terms of your jiu-jitsu, what does your intensity look like then?
1: Six weeks leading up to competition, I try and go as hard as I possibly can. I always try and leave the training session on the verge of, of throwing up. Because you have to be able to push yourself to the next limits, whether that's training with a black belt, going as hard as I can, or a blue belt. Like if I'm training with a blue belt, it doesn't mean I'm like going as hard as I can, like crushing them. It just means like, I'm like, pass, 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 pass. Mm -hmm. Once I pass, I let you regard and I keep going. So at the end of the five minutes, I am dead, but I didn't hurt anybody or I didn't submit you or anything like that. But I worked myself to the bone. So that's how I drill repetitively like that within live roles. But I always give it a hundred percent for that five minutes, take the 60 second break or 40 second break, do it again. And we'll do leading up to competitions. We do an hour, hour and a half of that. That's a few, like three or four days a week. Recently, you went to Boston, I believe. Yeah, Boston. Uh, you had
0: the honor of recording a or BJJ Fanatics instructional. Can you uh, talk about that
1: whole experience? Yeah, so it was really cool to be able to go down there and and represent myself and represent my team, represent the globe charters and just everybody I know, my friends and family. And to meet Bernardo Faria, to me, that's amazing because like I've got a lot of my philosophies and a lot of my techniques through his videos along my journey, right? So to be able to meet somebody like him is truly an honor. And then to be able to film the instructionals down there was great because I filmed three full instructionals during the time I was down there. so I worked really hard. and um, each instructional will be over two hours long. So one of them is a side control domination instructional. So two hours and 20 minutes dedicated to side control, side control, maintenance, transitions, the key elements, the cross face, the underhook, the hip control, starts right from beginners and goes right up to advanced rolling back takes to the end it doesn't matter what level you're at you're going to be able to find something in here Uh, i think i got 25 different chokes and submissions in it and that's just in the side control and then i have a guard passing connections instructional which is all the guard passes that you've learned already in your life but how do we chain them together in multiple redirectional movements Mm -hmm. to stun your guard playing opponents that's the key. So this one is my guard passing connections, which shows easy ways to enter good passing positions and the connections along the way. If he posts here, then we're going to go this way and go around the energy and not get into the fight. Those are two, and then and then the third instructional is kind of the guard position that I've created uh, over the years. I call it the slee guard, or it's very similar to a knee shield. So half the instructional is a knee shield, and half of it's on the slee guard they 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 work in together it's like they're webbed together well mm-hmm. so yeah that's about that's probably an hour and 48 minutes on knee shield style guard so sweeps, submissions knee bars arm bars chokes all that stuff like your scissor sweep to mount to arm bar all the way up to the advanced stuff
0: I love the sleeve guard. Uh, you taught that in Arizona. It was interesting because I didn't even think there could be a sweep from that position. Can you sort of describe the position and what's happening with that sweep?
1: Yeah. So with that position is, it's kind of like a double knee shield sort of, right? So I got my normal knee shield, but when you have a normal knee shield, usually you have a, a half guard hook on the bottom, but I don't have my half guard hook on the bottom. I have my knee across your, across your belly, which is controlling your hips. So my one shield is controlling your upper body. My next shield is controlling your hips. And then my arms are controlling your far arm. So I have everything blocked, right? So that's kind of the position, A um, uh, little explanation of the position. And then there's all kinds of sweeps, submissions, loop chokes, all kinds of stuff from there. So,
0: yeah. Very cool. Very cool. I yeah. really look forward to that instructional.
1: You know thing. what? Um, but- actually, uh, I think... I think the first one will come out like a couple of weeks before the uh, globe charters camp. Oh wow. So like anybody who purchases them, I'll be at camp and I'll be able to spend some time with you guys on the side and go over it one-on-one or as a group or whatever, and make sure everybody understands it before I go home after camp
0: when that becomes available look for it definitely pick it up and then if you have the opportunity to go join that camp or future camps with kyle it sounds like you could pick his brain about uh the instructionals and any questions you may have right
1: exactly yeah anytime shoot me a message it doesn't matter i'm i'm always good to answer that's what i do best
0: speaking of globetrotters kyle how'd you even get involved with them and for you listeners, I know a lot of you guys know about Globetrotters by listening to the show. But uh, Globetrotters is a, a global camp of various black belts that, that instruct a full week or day or several day sort of seminars in, in different locations around the world. Kyle, please uh, let us know how that happened.
1: I went to my first camp, I guess in 2017 or 18, as a brown belt, and I went there, and yeah, I had a blast, met all kinds of cool people from around the world, made all kinds of connections, and. I wanted to go back the next year to see everybody that I met, all those friends that I met. So I went back the next year and I was just like kind of a regular at the local USA camps. And yeah, eventually I had the honor to start instructing at them. So wow. that's pretty cool. Yeah. So I started off actually when I was a Brown Belt, I started doing um, the in-class workshops at some of the camps. So I was doing like diet and nutrition for performance seminars. And then uh, once I got my black belt, I was able to uh, get the position as an instructor. So that's super cool. Just the opportunity to go around to different camps, wherever in the world, such a great opportunity. And like what Christian's done is so cool, man. Who wouldn't want to live that lifestyle, man? He's went (laughs) everywhere in the world and he's a super cool guy, right? So why wouldn't you want to support somebody like him and what he's created? So I'm super glad to be a part of that.
0: Kyle's referring to Christian Gogart, who's the founder of BJJ Globetrotters. Kyle, how do you even put together like a class? How do you conceptualize and organize these things?
1: That's a good question. I've taught so many classes. I kind of just like, like I said before, is I kind of just like, what does one of my students need? And then I'm like, okay, he needs guard passing. So I'm going to create a class on guard passing. And then I'm like, as soon as people are like, yeah, that's a, that was a really good class. I'm like, okay, I'll just like put that in my back pocket and maybe take it to camp. But a lot of the times, like I'm, I give an idea. I'm like, who wants to see this, this or this at camp? And then people say, oh, we want to see this. And then I'll kind of just like, I know so many millions of moves and I can just create it like that, right? Like I can create 10 different classes in the next five minutes. You know, there's so much stuff going in my head through my head that I can easily make up 30 classes, but making up one's harder because I have so many ideas. You know what I mean? Yeah. I have so many ideas that it's easier for me to make 30 or 50 classes than it is to make two. <laughs> <'Cause> I <laughs> want to do everything.
0: How do you deal with that? Like these camps, because they're not like students that you're with for years or months or whatever. It's a brief exchange. So how do you deal with that?
1: So that what time? happens is uh, before the camps happen, Christian will post on the the Arizona page or the the USA camp page, all the instructors will offer up four different classes and all the participants will vote upon those classes. So the two that people voted on the most, those are your classes that you're going to create for the camp. So once I know that, okay, people want this guard passing class and this knee shield class, then I know that I'm just creating those two classes, right? But I put forth you know, a number of different ideas and whatever the participants want, that's what I'll do. Even if anybody has ideas of anything they want, just shoot me a message. If you're going to camp and give me some ideas and I'll make some classes up. And if others want that too, then boom, let's do it.
0: So going back to the academy and where you're teaching, can you tell me like, what's unique about your academy?
1: So, I'm at Cal Samert martial Arts in Bowmanville, Ontario. and what's unique is, like I said before, every single instructor there is world class mm-hmm. in their art. and it's yeah, it's it's pretty cool to know and to be co-workers with other world class competitors in in different arts, right? Because for me, I'm not just a jiu-jitsu martial artist. I'm a martial artist yeah. in anything mm-hmm. right it all it's all the same to me like so to me, it's cool to be other around other people with the same passion, but in different arts. neat. Mm-hmm we got a lot of black belt instructors at our academy too, that are awesome. So it's really cool to coach alongside them as well.
0: That is interesting because you've lived the full physical optimizing lifestyle. I didn't even realize that you had an ex- expertise in nutrition and this kind of thing as well from the weightlifting, the exercise, the nutrition, the various martial arts that you study, It's sort of a 360 of this whole optimization.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like a a key and a lock, if there's one tooth missing, then that key's not going to open the lock and you're not going to unlock your full potential. Mm -hmm. In order to unlock your full potential, you need good nutrition to perform and to heal. You need to push yourself to the limits to surpass to the next level for your own abilities. And then you need the knowledge, right? So you need everything simultaneously to really develop. And that's where a lot of people start learning jujitsu when they hit black belt, because it takes all those years to figure out how to eat well, how your body is able to perform, things like that, right? Because you don't know how to perform off the bat. You have to learn that over years of mat time. You figure out the hard way that shitty food doesn't make you feel good. Because you think, yeah. oh, I'm fine, I'm fine. I'm, sure. I'm performing fine, right? It's what I'm really capable of. And you cut that out for a few weeks, you're like, wow. And then over time, yeah. So yeah. it all works together.
0: What makes a great BJJ student
1: What makes a great BJJ student is their ability to be coachable. If they're coachable, I can help you bring out your best potential. That doesn't mean like, I'll help you become a world champion or I'll help you become a tournament winner. That is a side effect of bringing out your best potential. So the key is to bring out your best potential.
0: Can you define what a coachable is to you?
1: Yeah. Coachable is like, I used to be like hard headed where my coach would say, take a couple of days off. And I'm like, I can't, and I'd keep training. Like that's not coachable. And I learned over time that you got to be coachable. Like if I tell my student, you need to take a couple of days off. I don't need to explain why, but there's multiple reasons why your body is lacking nutrition and needs nutrition and blah, blah, blah. blah right. So if you're coachable and I'm just like, you take a couple of rest days, you take a couple of rest days, you train tomorrow, you do this tomorrow, blah, blah, blah. stick to the plan and everything's going to be perfect. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because I have a plan for each one of my students. Like when I would look at you, I have my plan for you. I see you and I have my plan for you. So if you just trust me, I'm going to help you bring out your best you and I won't let you down.
0: What are the most common issues that you see with students and your advice to address those?
1: everybody's different. So you have people that aren't training enough. Maybe they have a little bit of excuses that they need to get over. That's that's in their head. A lot of people make excuses and don't train enough because they don't see the potential in themselves that I see in them. And that's a tough one. Some people train too much to the point where they burnt out. And I'm like, you're not going to make it four more weeks of competition unless you chill. And then they don't, they end up getting strep throat a week before or something, right? So Mm. there's all kinds of problems from this side to this side and everything in between. Some people lack the cardio, but... They want to focus on their best assets rather than their weaknesses, and it's just everybody's different, and everybody's journey is different. Like I had shit to work on at Blue Belt that was different than Purple. You know, once I address those issues, man, there's next issues that arise. And still today, like once I feel like I've oh I've clicked and I've learned something, well, if I don't have a next issue to deal with, then I'm stagnant. I always have to be looking and improving and constantly evolving at all times.
0: So now that you've mentioned the the belt color, can you give it the obligatory advice, general sort of advice in terms of like what should you be working on at each belt color?
1: Everybody's gonna have different games. So maybe this guy's using Spider Guard at Blue Belt and he's just working on that. But this guy's working on Delahiva. Maybe he's never gonna be a Spider Guard player. So we don't really need to hone in on that. But what we need do need to do is hone in on the defense to it, right? So maybe he's doing spider guard at blue belt and he's doing the defenses to it. So it all, again, it all depends on the individual. Some Mm -hmm. people learn the Barambolo at blue belt. Some people learn the Barambolo at first degree black belt. It all depends on what your teacher brings to the table, how he teaches, if they have a set curriculum. If you have a set curriculum, I feel that there's not a lot of evolving that's going to happen because we're stuck to this.
0: So it's much more nuanced to you than just white belts should be working on defense. Blue I think you should just escape purple belts should be starting to think so, about
1: attacks. Yeah. Okay. So white belts, you should always be working on all the fundamentals. You should learn the close guard. You should know two or three good closed guard sweeps and two or three good closed guard submissions. You should know two or three good closed guard breaks, two or three good closed guard passes, two or three good mount escapes, two or three good mount attacks. Two or three good side control escapes. Two or three good side control. Right. So the basic fundamentals you should definitely have before blue belt. So blue belt, I feel like you should be you should be in the game now. You should know the game, and now you should be developing those positions.
0: Can you tell us what makes a great BJJ instructor?
1: Hmm. I feel like a great Jiu-Jitsu instructor is dependent on who they are as well. Like I've met various different instructors and. They've all been great, but they teach in their different ways. So I feel like maybe a good instructor is an instructor that had the ability to learn from many different people along their journey. That way they were able to gather many different perspectives to formulate the best game plan and approach to move forward. Because I feel like the academy I've come from, Bruckman Martial Arts was my main academy. We were, guys, go, go train elsewhere. Go seek other information. Whereas other clubs, they don't do that, right? They're very, don't go train anywhere else. Yeah. Yeah. So we had the opportunity to go train elsewhere. So I was able to see of many different types of, of teaching abilities. And that's how I'm able to teach well today is because I've taken what's best from every single person that's taught me. I've taken their best quality. What did I like in their teaching ability? And I'm going to adapt that into my teaching ability.
0: Can you talk about your teaching path and how do you keep that sharp?
1: Teaching was very natural for me due to the fact that when I was coming through the ranks, I was a purple belt at Brooklyn Martial Arts. And a lot of the times it was like, I would teach a class, like highest rank at the time would teach a class. My other instructors were doing other things around and things like that. So I got right into the teaching scene at like a purple belt and it just become natural. And that's kind of how I learn as well. I know I have things to work on as my colored belts and I would bring that in and okay guys, let's the whole class, we're gonna work on this, right? So teaching, I was able to v- develop my own game and everybody was able to develop the same sort of techniques as well. So right off the hop, as a purple belt, I was teaching a group of people I considered all my friends. So it wasn't, I didn't feel like it was cringy to me. Maybe other people were like, oh, <laughs> who knows? But by the time I became a black belt and in an instructor position, I feel like I've already been teaching for six years.
0: How do you see the future of jujitsu?
1: Hmm. That's a very good question. (sighs) I see the future of jujitsu evolving because everybody's getting better. And the new wave is coming out like the Rutolo brothers. And like, like, for example, like my niece is 13 years old. She's been doing jujitsu since she's been seven, When she's like 22. She's going to be like a black belt that's been doing jujitsu since she's been seven. Like that new wave is going to be ridiculous. So jujitsu is going to be at such a high level. That's why the Brazilians are so good because they all started at such a young age. And then guys like myself, we didn't get jiu-jitsu in Canada until like 2002 or something, right? So like we were way behind, but like that's new wave coming up right now. Like we got like one of my blue belt, two of my blue belts, actually, we just gave them their blue belt at 16 years old. And they've been training since they've been five blue belts, uh, 11 years of jitsu. Man, these guys are going to be like not going to be. They already are insane.
0: Unbelievable. Seven yeah.
1: years old. He's going in. They're going in adult divisions and cleaning house. Unbelievable. So it's it's going to blow up. Guy and No Gi is going to blow up for sure. Yeah.
0: You bring up a great point too. Let's touch on the belt system now and the way it's evolved. You brought up 16-year-old blue belts that are incredible, right? And uh, we could talk about someone like Okola Bate from Arta Jiu-Jitsu, who was a blue belt, now a purple belt, who is routinely beating the highest level black belts, who is routinely beating the highest level black belts. So it makes us sort of look back, I mean, initially people who did not know who someone like that was was, you know, entitling these things like blue belt crushes black belt, right? When really you need to think about the context of it, like you said, the duration of training at the young age and, and that kind of just the evolution of the art. Can you give me your thoughts on belt ranking system and what does it mean anymore?
1: Well, yeah, that's a great question. It means a lot to the person who's earned them. That's about it, right? And I feel like It's very valuable to earn something along the way. Like some of my students work so hard that they've earned a a pat on the back. So I feel like belts are are your own accomplishments along the way. Like a, a university certificate, that doesn't mean anything to anybody else. Only you, the person who's earned it. That's all it is, right? It doesn't mean where you stand in the world amongst other fighters. I don't see it like that. Because I have students that are 55 years old with four kids going to university, trying to pay that, coming out twice a week. And you put in three years of mat time, and You're going to be decent, right? So, like, you're going to get your next bell. You don't have to be the best in the world. You don't have to beat, like, Colabate. You're 55. <laughs> you have kids. You show up. That's earned my respect. Right. So there's various reasons why people get belts and stuff like that. But in my eyes, there's many qualifications that you need to address. Like whether you're 20 years old and a student or you're 55 years old, in my opinion, you need two and a half years at a belt and be consistent. And at the end of that consistency, you need to be able to show some skill and show that you've learned in that two and a half years. Right. So there's two, there's two things that need to meet together to be looked at for your next rank in my eyes. Say you're a blue belt and you've been a blue belt for 12 months, but you're killing brown belts you still got a year and a half to go. You're still going to wait two and a half years. You're just going to be a really awesome blue belt. And I'm not going to give it to you early just because you're awesome and be an average purple. So again, it's about bringing out your best potential, right? So you're going to, in my club, you're going to be a white belt for two and a half years, no matter what. You're going to be a blue belt for two and a half years, no matter what. You're going to be a purple two and a half years, no matter what. So it's up to you how much you're going to develop in that time. Now, that doesn't mean that at two and a half years, you're getting your next belt. That means that you can be now looked at for your next belt. Like, okay, how far have you come? How much have you absorbed? How much skills can you put forward in that last two and a half years? Have you really developed in that two and a half years? Because even if you're 55 coming twice a week, two and a half years, dude, you're going to develop, right? So two and a half years plus development, but you don't have to be awesome at jujitsu. You have to show that you've developed, right? That's all it's about. Development, personal progress. Because yeah, like there's there's blue belt world champions now that'll, like, that'll eat black belt recreational martial. Artist and that black belt recreational martial artist. He's never been into competing. He's got kids. He's they're in it for different reasons. So you you can't knock on one versus the other.
0: Well, let's talk about that then. In terms of competition and belt ranking, I mean your example was perfect. The blue belt who's crushing brown belts, but you're still going to make them wait another year. How does that translate to the competitive landscape in terms of I'm a 16 year old blue belt division or something like that, but I'm crushing brown belts how does ibjjf adjust for that
1: well they have a time frame as well right like you can only you have to be blue or purple for two years so that's why i'm like okay two and a half so but yeah like if you're a blue belt crushing brown belts for two years good for you good for you you're going to be an awesome black belt because all colored belts is and all those tournaments are is to see what kind of black belt that you're going to become like All those tournaments at blue belt and purple belt and brown belt that I thought were like, that meant everything to me. I just see them now as like, it was all just practice to become the black belt I am today. Like if I didn't do that, I would just be a half ass black belt. But since I did all that work, I see myself as I'm a decent black belt in my eyes, right? So I feel that confidence by putting in that hard road.
0: Do you think those kids that are coming up have an advantage given that they have so much information readily available for them now, like quality information in terms of like instructionals like yours on BJJ Fanatics, high level free stuff on YouTube, Instagram. Like you said, better training modalities, you know, just outside of jujitsu.
1: Yeah. So there's a lot of information out there, but you got to remember everybody has their own game as well. So you have to pick and choose through the information that's going to work best for you. Most of the time you're going to pick and choose information on somebody that you relate to so somebody that you know like i'll only buy instructionals of people that like i've met or that i know i like their style or something right there's so much information out there that you can get confused on stuff Your best bet is always to stick to your instructor. That's always your best bet. He's always going to be your number one. Learning other stuff is cool and other, right? You learn to develop games like that way. Like like I said before, you have to develop like an actual game. You got to have three moves from every single position. So yeah, having a lot of information out there, you can sit down with a pen and paper and create a whole game in the next two hours. Then you just take that paperwork and that game and you just only roll using that game. That's how you start developing stuff, right? So having all the information out there, you have access to develop your own game. It's up to you if you want to do that or not. That's your own homework. That's where there's differences in levels of competition. Did you put in the extra homework that this guy didn't do or whatever, right? Kyle, can you tell me of a time that you wanted to quit and why? There's never been a time that I wanted to quit because I am a martial artist since the day I was born. So to quit would be quit being me. It'd be like, hey, are you fed up being you? Do you want to be somebody else? Hell no right? This is who I am. So I've been through knee surgeries, major rib injuries, where I've been out for six months, back injuries, things like that. There's times that I looked at it like, man, I don't know if I can keep this up. Not that I wanted to quit, but I just thought like, how is my my body going to endure this and blah, blah, blah. Right. But as you go and as you get better, like I don't really get hurt anymore. I don't put my, I don't do those, that dumb shit that I used to do. Like when you're like, you flail your body this way or flail your body that way, man, you're you're going to get hurt. Like at this point of my jujitsu career, I can train full out competition matches with people. And I feel that I'm at more risk of hurting myself, playing soccer with my niece, like out in the field, twist my ankle and fucked. <laughs> right. But like in jujitsu, everything at the black belt level and up is so controlled. Yeah. It looks chaotic. It's in the heat of battle, but it's very controlled, right? Like if I get somebody, I'm not in a competition and I get their arm, I'm never hurting them. Hmm. I'm holding it there. And going to slowly apply, but they can, tr- they can always trust that I'm never going to hurt anybody. Right. Mm. So I feel like in jiu-jitsu, I'd, I'm not going to get hurt by somebody else. I'm just going to get hurt by like being athletic. And so I've never really had the wanted to quit, but I've had the, how am I going to continue? Mm. Right. And you just, you just do, you just keep going. You just suck it up and you go like literally the jiu-jitsu journey is about bumps in the road and overcoming it. Right. Like I just overcame my last bump in the road. Okay, so ne- what's next? Like bring on the next bump and I'll get over that. Then I'll bring on the next bump. I'll get over that. I'll keep training. I'll keep living my life. But it's about like, bring on the next shit. People see it like, oh, bad things come in three. No, man, suck that shit up. Get over that hump and let's go. Keep going. Bad things don't come in three. Just your mindset is thinking that way.
0: Hmm, that's interesting. You know? So a lot of it for you is like psychology and you've conditioned yourself to exactly stuff
1: and to push through, huh? Yeah, it's going to happen. Like, you know, I might get a flat tire in the next couple of days. That's okay, man. I'll just deal with it when it happens. Like, I don't need to stress about it. You deal with things as it happens. If you get put in a bad position and rolling, that's like getting a flat tire, man. Just chill, relax, think, and get out of there. Mm -hmm. On to the next one.
0: You touched on this a little bit earlier in terms of like uh, instructionals that you would buy from practitioners you would trust and and admire. Can you tell us like some jujitsu practitioners that you do admire and why?
1: Since 2010, I was studying Bernardo Faria's game, his lapel single, the uh, Faria sweep. Like his whole game is very basic and it's very pressure oriented. And I've really worked on that all these years. So that's why it was Mm -hmm. super cool for me to go to BJ Fanatics, right? Like,
0: that's surreal, right?
1: Yeah. Like, especially when I've been watching all this shit. He has a wicked video out called Unstoppable, Bernardo Faria Unstoppable. It's awesome, man. I've watched that like a hundred times, like before I even met him, right? Wow. Kyotera. Oh, yeah. Kyotera okay, yeah. had a really good half guard instructional. I studied that one for a long time. But to be honest, I never really bought a lot of instructionals. I developed right, from that time through trial and error on my own. Mm-hmm. Because I've come from other martial arts, I feel like my mindset for developing artistically is there. So, yeah, I learned like once I understand the basic fundamentals, I've just kind of developed my own stuff.
0: How about just competitors a, that you admire?
1: Competitors that I admire. Oh man, out right now is Tynan Delpra. Oh
0: yeah. Have you seen
1: him? He's holy shit. I've been watching all his matches and I go back, 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 back. And I'm studying his guard passing and I'm like trying to drill it and roll it. Man, unreal. Mendez brothers love those guys. Meow brothers love those guys. Leandro Low. I watch all Leandro's low stuff. Oh man, he's fantastic. Um, Cyborg, watch all cyborg stuff. (laughs) Marigali, watch all Marigali stuff. Like
0: he's incredible. Did you see what happened to him? Your thoughts on what happened?
1: Yeah. Uh, like, I don't know. Like, he gave the finger and he got DQ'd.
0: Yeah, your thoughts on that?
1: <laughs> ah, dude, I think that's real hard. You don't, like, the guy came from Brazil. He put money for That's forward, sponsors, and blah, 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 training. And you don't do that to him. I don't no. know. I would never break somebody's heart like that, man. Like, you know, talk to him after, say, hey, man, like a little more respectful or something like that. And he would be, I guarantee he'd be like, oh, I'm sorry. Like I got out of hand emotions. Right. He would have apologized. Like,
0: Well, the organization could have just done a finger waving or a statement rather than, you know, a DQ. That's 100%.
1: Yeah. It was very odd. They had something against him, obviously. Who knows? Mm. Uh, There's, I'm sure there's tons of politics that we don't know.
0: Who else besides Madagali?
1: Muhammad Ali. He's awesome. Interesting.
0: He's just, I rarely hear his name. That's interesting oh. that you mentioned. Him. Yeah.
1: Right? Yeah. Dude, that guy's solid, man. And then we got the ADCC coming up. So obviously, Gordon Ryan, Nicky Rod. I always like watching Orlando Sanchez, the human yeah, tree so. stump. I always like, I, I want to see how he's going to do and how he. I'd like to see his game like for such a big guy. I want to see what he's coming to the table with. But he's got some slick passing for such a big guy. He's got that, that folding pass, the back step, like the cyborg style passing. And then the old school guys, man, I always watch all their stuff. Zanji, Rafael Lovato Jr., Hodger Gracie. Like I miss all those guys. Marcelo Garcia. Like I would love to see those guys compete again.
0: Well, Kyle, I want to be respectful of your time here. So if the listeners want to get more information about you, where can they go?
1: You can find me on Instagram at Bull Sleeman, or I have a YouTube channel that I'm, I pump out the odd bit of content. And uh, you could find me on Facebook at Kyle Sleeman. Yeah, check it out hope you like it. Send me, a, send me a message on Instagram or whatever. If you uh, are going to Globetrotters camp and want to see certain classes, let me know. I'll try and dedicate some stuff to you. I really appreciate your time today.
0: All right, everyone. Thanks for watching and listening out there. Really appreciate it. I'm your host, Adolfo Ferranda. Please give us a five-star review and subscribe and do the whole thing on iTunes and tell all your friends about it. Share the podcast with a friend. It really helps. And we will see you guys next time. Kyle, thank you very much for your time. Appreciate it, man.
1: Thank you very much. It's an honor for me.